and do your dirty work of going and complaining to yeah. somebody for you ain't gonna happen. No. I'm feeling like the third bird dog. <laughs> Thank you, you have babe. to be excommunicated, kicked out of relationship, and, and stuck in a basement. This message sucks. stinks. <laughs> Flips There's it. explicit there right go. there. Welcome to the club of the initiated man. You better not be recording this or I'm never walking with you again. Oh, there we are. got a sassy brunette. You know, do something. Do, do something. anything, but just don't sit there. Hey, don't you have something better to do? You've stumbled on the Invisible Humanitarian Podcast from Prince Edward Island on the east coast of Canada, where we discuss hiking, culture, life, theology, running, stories, West Africa, books, you name it. Well, I got this ladder fluid, and I swear this time I'll do it. Cause this old curve's been ticking me off too long. Light it up. And I know I probably shouldn't, but around here that's how we do it. Alright, welcome to the Two Bird Dogs Podcast. I'm Tom Marshall, and with me is Andy Rayner. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing great. What's your beverage, bud? Why don't you tell them the beverage we're, we're working on today? Uh, we, we are working on Timothy's Hot Chocolate, a Man, larger version. That's pretty smooth. Uh, as I have become a connoisseur of hot chocolate, mm. um, Beans, which is now closed in downtown uh, Charlottetown, uh, had a decent hot chocolate, mm-hmm. uh, but it depended on the person making it. Right. So there's a guy there that uh, usually wore combat boots and had a lot of tats. <laughs> He was the he man. Was, he's the man, Pat yeah. man. And so I think his name was Wayne, and, and yeah. Wayne knew how to make hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Timothy's was there, but theirs is more of a powdery. Yeah. It's kind of got a powderiness to it. Yeah. Um, Starbucks up the road, obviously. It's it. Starbucks hot chocolate always kind of tastes like coffee, mm. and usually there's a lot of hot yeah. chocolate at the bottom. And then Tim's, well, let's just be honest, Tim's just, you might as well get a packet of hot chocolate milks from the grocery store. Yeah, mix it with your tap water. (laughs) Yeah, mix it with your tap water. But the Uh, ideal, and this is what I've discovered on myself, because I've tried it other places, and uh, probably the worst hot chocolate I had was in your area. Uh, the little restaurant behind oh, you the told me about that because yeah. they really don't sell it. That's why you stump them. And yeah. so, like, I wanted hot chocolate, and they're like, "What? You know, do you want coffee? No, I don't want coffee. I want hot chocolate because it's on the sign." Yeah. So they heated up water, and I don't know what they put in it. It wasn't even chocolatey. It, it just was a mess. Oh man! And they were messed up. They, they yeah, they they probably hadn't sold a hot chocolate in six months. There, they probably had one of those little cans. I don't think and, they ever sold hot chocolate there. Yeah, even though it's on the sign. It's on yeah. the sign. They probably had that little can of hot chocolate you get at the store, the cheapy no name brand, and flipped a couple of spoons in the hot water and stirred it up for you, man. That's the best you got. Now the ideal would be. Now this is for our our, our listeners out there. <laughs> If you want real hot chocolate, it'll make you fat, though. So I'm just going to give that disclaimer. <laughs> so you go to, to Sobeys or the Superstore. Those are the local stores for us, the two big chains. Mm-hmm. And they sell the no-name chocolate bars. And so um, you get one of those, and, and you take two rows, break up the, the little cubes, put them in there. And, you know, you, if you're really going to go whole hog, you use whole milk. Yeah. Uh, we have 1% because my wife thinks that that's better. Oh, man. 2% is going to be better. But whole milk is where yep. where God yep. lives. And 
you heat it up in the microwave and that makes it it's rich it's full it's wonderful and that's the best hot chocolate and and i made that for a couple of the students here and they're like oh my gosh yeah yeah but again if you drink that every day you're gonna get fat well fat this is quick. this is good uh, we went downtown and got this before we, got, uh, we recorded this bot podcast and uh, they had it on the frothing machine and everything in yeah. a steel goblet making it so so yeah. i i don't know what uh, and then poured it into this cup so the other it's day, good i was at two if by sea in dartmouth and uh, i got a mocha there and i mean the gentleman was like, oh, I put a lot of chocolate in. Do you mind? I said, nope, not yeah. at all. <laughs> it was probably the best mocha I had yeah. in a long time. Do you remember that time we hiked the Bradalbin Trail there, and I had my little gasifier stove yeah. with the pellets, and uh, we stopped about halfway. It was in, I don't remember, it was late fall or early spring. I don't remember. It was and, cold, and the water was high, so it was probably spring. Yeah, and we went for a hike, and we stopped, and I lit up my little gasifier uh, uh, stove there with some wood pellets in it, and and uh, we had a hot chocolate. I think you put two packets in your little thing or oh, three yeah. or something. It was uh, it was pretty thick and if rich. You go, said, go that's big. no good, man. <laughs> and you went to town on this, it. I was, this weak stuff just doesn't do it. No, yeah. Not at all. Well, even the one packet I had, I found that had too much sugar in it for me anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Well, I like the taste of coffee now. I never drank coffee as a kid. And it wasn't until I was probably in my 40s when I started, you know, I acquired the taste of coffee. The only problem is it, it tends to mess up my gut. And mm-hmm. It hurts. The same with tea. I've, I've acquired the taste for tea. And I even have mint leaves that I would put in with the tea and make it wonderful. Right. But something in there just... It's too much, and so I, I yeah. stick with hot chocolate. Now I try not to have too much hot chocolate because yeah. it's bad for you. So tell me what you've been doing in the shop. Well, fishing season's coming upon us again. Uh, I know our lobster season doesn't start until the end of April, but uh, we always have the gear out and tied on and mm-hmm. ready to load on the boat by, well, usually by the end of the third or fourth, well, by the end of March always, but in that uh, third week to the fourth week, we're hauling the traps up and tying them on. and. Anyway, we got a we got we got some new regulations sprung on us, and gosh, it it, it bugs me. Yeah, whenever the Department of Fisheries uh, uh, here in Canada, I, I don't know what's up with these guys, but they'll Let's change. Let's take our, a moment of silence for all government officials. We're raising our hot chocolate. Yes, we understand <laughs> that you're in a mechanism that moves as slow as a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but they'll they'll come up with some new regulation, which which you know I'm all for conservation me- measures that yeah. protect our industry, our wildlife, you know, and our fish species. I'm all for it. But they'll make these new regulations, and they never mail them to you. Okay, I, I'm on Facebook, and somebody, I think it was the PEI Fisherman Association, I just happened to see their post about about this new regulation, and I get online, and I start looking, and, and then I go up to my fisheries to find out if any of the fishermen know about it, and they actually had copies of the new regulations. But they never send this stuff to you. So you hear it by word of mouth, for Pete's sake. Yeah. And then, see, in the wintertime, uh, uh, the fish, the fishing industry's not underway, and that's when they have all their meetings and stuff. So they come out with these 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 new regulations, and uh, just shortly before the the coming season, and you got little t- or no time to react. And anyway, and so uh, you, of course, as you know, I mean the right the northern right whale is an endangered species. There's yep. only about what 300 or 350 left alive on planet Earth, and. Um, they they come up into the Maritimes in the spring as as the waters uh, warm up and thaw. It's a major feeding ground in the Gulf of Saint Lawrence here, where where I fish, 
And uh, anyway, and so they get up here and of course it's a major shipping lane up to Montreal and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Quebec that way in the St. Lawrence. Donald Sutherland and his yacht. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, St. John Harbor and Halifax Harbor and things like that too. So uh, anyways, I mean, it, and it, it is terrible, but some of them get struck by ships, uh, yeah. you know, blunt uh, blunt trauma from, from getting struck by ships. And, and yes, some of them are getting tangled up in, in lobster gear uh, or crab gear mostly, which is, is which is out in the Gulf in a deeper zone there. And, uh, and I mean, and that's not good. They wash up a few more die every year. They wash up in the beach and, and most of them seem to be dying from blunt force trauma. That seems to be right. the major thing. So now they, that now when they're in the area in the shipping lane, um, they're not allowed to sail faster than 10 knots. They actually have a speed limit uh, oh, coming cool. into the Gulf during that time, which is, which is great. And, uh, uh, but anyway, um, but our lobster gear is is in closer to shore. But but see where it is now is uh, is 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 because of this endangered species. That if they're in our area and there's fishing gear in the air, they're going to shut down the area. Yeah, and. Um, which is understandable, but you have to understand from a business perspective how much of a uh, a concern it is. Because I mean, our lobster season is not like in the states or over in Southwest Nova, where it's a lot longer season. Yeah. Our season is eight weeks. Yeah. And if we have a three week closure because right whales are in the area on an eight week season, goodbye. we are financially destroyed. And uh, you know, and so you know, where's the balance between uh, you know uh, uh, having to put food on your table and protecting uh, an endangered whale that comes up into our area. And like I say, my lobster gear, where we fish lobsters, is not predominant. If they do get tangled, it has a tendency to be crab gear, which is a lot further offshore. But as a protective measure, what they came out this year with is we now have to color code our ropes by area, uh, species being fished for, and what zone we're be, uh, we're fishing in? And that way, they if you if the whale gets caught, they, they can know figure where, out who, what, when, where, and e- how. exactly. And so they want to know where that whale got entangled, and then they go. Of course, they said there's planes flying over looking for these whales. Now they'll go to that area, and if another whale is spotted, because they know where it came from, and go look and see if the herd is still there, they'll shut down that zone. And like I say, it's understandable and. But, you know, as a fisherman, it's like, I hope they don't get tangled in our lobster gear because they shut down a lot of zones last year in the crab area where the crabbers couldn't fish and uh, they had to go to other areas and, you know, and whether there's crab there or not, it doesn't matter, right? You know, the good areas could be closed and you get, yeah. you're catching nothing. And, uh, but anyway, so what happened was, is they come up with our zone. Well, uh, blue, blue means the Gulf, the Gulf region, which is in the St. Lawrence Bay here. And uh, so we're Gulf region. Yellow means that the rope is attached to lobster gear. So I have to have a blue and yellow string weaved in, into my buoy lines on my gear. Uh, it has to be at least six inches long, a minimum of six inches long, a blue and yellow string uh, weaved in side by side, and then a green string, uh, a minimum of six in- inches or longer, uh, weaved in by itself, either above or below that string and so the yellow means lobster gear blue means gulf and then the green that's by itself above or below that string of color it means uh zone 24 which is what where my lobster gear is yeah and uh so anyway so that so i found out on facebook went to my fisheries 
to ask them if they knew anything. They had a print off of these regulations that are supposedly supposed to come. Didn't know anything about it. You know, gear is supposed to be on, on the wharf here by the end of next month. And, uh, and, and anyway, I got 900 of these things to weave into my, <laughs> into my lines now, which is, which I have other work to do, but this is a new thing. I'm not complaining about it, but, uh, but anyway, and I, I went to my fisher and said, okay, well, well, what, what kind of string? Well, they haven't determined what's, uh, if it has, if it has to be a uniform size, they said, it doesn't matter the size as of now that may change, says the paper. Uh, and as far as shape. Like if you have blue, well, I, 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 I had a light baby blue string. I, I found a nylon string and then a navy blue, but it says on the regulation for now, since the, you know, it's the first year of the regulation, it's not a specific shade of blue or green or whatever. It just has to be some kind of that color. And so I said to, uh, at my fisheries, it's, you know, they, they sell millions of dollars worth of fishing supplies. Here's a big supply place. I said, well, well, sell me the yellow and the blue and the green stuff. Oh, we don't have any. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you don't have any? They said, well, we don't have the stuff. It's a new, it's a new regulation. I said, well, when are you going to have the stuff? And they said, check back at the end of March. I said, I have my gear on the wharf and tied on by, by the third and fourth week of March has never not been on the wharf by the end of March and ready to, you know, get loaded. And they said, well, I said, so are you ordering it? Yeah, but it's going to be delayed. I said, why? Well, the, the containers are in China on the seaport and the seaport's closed. Because of the coronavirus. Yeah. And so it may or may not be here in March. So we have this new regulation that I heard by mouth. They never notify the fishermen, that, but they're going to fine you for it. Okay. But you, they never inform you of the change. And I'm not one of these fishermen that goes around just gabbing about all this stuff. So I, you know, I, if. I just stumble on this stuff because, you know, there's not even an official website you can go to, to find out new regulations as they're posted. And I've recommended that to the department of fisheries. If you got a place, have a place where we go and we can see notices and updates as they come out instead of, you know, finding it later. And no, no, they don't have, even have a website we can go to get the stuff. And so anyway, I, I cut the, well, yesterday I spent all day with a, with a hot, uh, a splicing iron, we call it, but anyway, cutting strings and, uh, at, you know, to the proper length to get ready to weave in. We hauled all the, I, bl- I blew the snow from the, the workshop and got all my 50 coils are open. I got to weave 900 strings in and it has to be, uh, those three colors have to be weaved in within two meters from the buoy on the top, uh, halfway down and then uh, within two meters of the trap. So th- that color spectrum has to be on the top, middle, and bottom of, of, of each buoy line. And so we have 50 lines, so I, I, I have I have to do that, you know, six times per line times 50 or whatever. And, now here's the and beauty. <laughs> Coming from the Midwest and Illinois, see, you listen to farmers. Yeah. And, you know, they, they have their regulations that they have to follow and and all the stuff that's happening, and so this is this is what it's like to be the lobster fisherman. Yeah. Uh, the other day, uh, I noticed a, a post by Troy Wilkie. He's a classmate, and and he was making a joke about one of his recipes, and it showed half a bologna sandwich and some potato chips. And and you know, for those that don't know, in the Midwest, you know, at one time lobster was actually selling for less than bologna. Yep. So bologna costs more than lobster. Still is. Last year I got paid less than bologna. It's five fifty a pound to buy bologna at the store, and we were getting paid five twenty five. 
Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, when people say, oh, well, what are you eating to lunch? I eat lobster sandwiches every day. Like, well, why? Because Cause it's it, cheaper. Yeah, because it's cheaper than me buying a can of salmon. Did you see what how much a can of salmon is in Canada at a grocery store? Uh-huh. If it's not on sale, like it's 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 like four bucks. You know what I mean? It's it, it like even when it goes on sale, it's it's yeah. three or something. Oh, for the people in the States, you'll appreciate this. Milk costs $7.50 a gallon. <laughs> yeah. Back in Illinois, I think it's like three bucks. Yeah, something so they'll else. be shocked. Anyway, so I'm doing that, and 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 uh, which is no big deal. It's, you know, I don't I don't mind doing the work. Like we, you know, we had to, we also have to put biodegradable strings in that you have to change every year, yeah. which is good. You know, if a trap breaks off and it gets lost, that biodegradable string that you sew the nylon yeah. mesh, like you cut a hole in the nylon mesh and tie it shut with this biodegradable string, and if the trap gets lost, that breaks down fairly quickly and uh, and then opens the trap up so that the trap doesn't ghost fish because nylon webbing would never break down you know what i mean it it just stays intact for years and if something gets caught in that trap you know it's ghost fishing and it doesn't and it doesn't uh stop ghost fishing until literally the wood rots and then opens a hole in in the wood structure and you know so we're we're okay like i'm okay with these kind of regulations but how long does it take to make a a lobster trap oh gosh from start to finish yeah start to finish it's it's gotta be I, i would say uh, you know, like you're not counting the time of getting your lumber, hauling your lumber, and then getting it cut yourself. What kind of or, wood? Well, uh, juniper uh, um, or uh, oak, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's our main thing. But mostly juniper, and then hardwood for sills and palings, maple, rock maple, uh, mm-hmm. things like that too. Um, and uh, and maple laz or oak laz or uh, juniper laz are common around here. And I'm assuming yeah. you're steaming and bending the. Uh, not anymore. Uh, no, uh, the the bows we buy pre prepared. We used to always steam those up up until about 12 or 14 years ago. We we stopped doing it, but now now we buy those arched bows uh, prepared. But we build it. We build everything else, and we put those in the sills and everything. And then you have to do the netting type stuff. Oh, you got to cut the webbing and uh, and then and then stitch the you know the the, the line or. It, stitch the heads together it to make the mm-hmm. circles for the hoops and the holes and the There's funnels. There's also a piece of cement or used to be rocks. got to cement them, get the gravel. I, I would say it's got to be close to eight hours per trap. And, uh, and that, how many traps would you run? Well, uh, we, we, we do 300 and, uh, we usually try to keep them cycled through where, where our traps aren't any older than six years old. And, uh, so we end up to, in order to do that cycle of, of, of at six years old, you, uh, you, you, you know, that trap is cycled out for new ones. Uh, so you have to do a minimum of 50, 50 a year, 50 a winter to, to keep cycling through on that pattern. And, uh, but I mean, I built a lot of traps the last six years because, you know, when I bought the gear from dad, I mean, the lobster prices were so low in the maritime. I mean, people were literally on the verge of, you know, not making it. I mean, the engines were wore out, boats were in How much is an engine? Um, well, the, the little one I got was 56,000. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, but they're not big engines. I mean, that's 430 horsepower turbo. And how much is a boat? But, but, uh, but a, a boat and an engine, if you're, if you're being modest right now, you're looking at about 450,000. And how much is the and, lobster license, which uh, they only have a few? Uh, well, I don't know right there now, but, uh, uh, they're, they're, well, with with the boat and the license, they're selling for about one point two million the last few years because the price finally come up. Yeah. But back uh, back uh, six years ago. But that's what you pay to get a license to get a boat. Mm, yeah. But you still haven't caught any lobster. Exactly. Which yeah. sells below the price of baloney. Yeah, I know. How much is bait? 
Uh, bait is running a dollar a pound now, plus minimum of a dollar. But uh, macro, like last year, a lot of people used mackerel, and it was a buck twenty-five at the start, and I think at the end of the season it was near a buck fifty. So you're putting on uh, uh, per mackerel, a whole mackerel is like a dollar dollar twenty five to a dollar fifty. I was using herring at a dollar a pound and redfish at a dollar twenty five. And so you're you're literally putting three dollars a day on a trap for bait in order to catch lobster. So if you get a trap that's empty and sometimes you're fishing a string of five or well you have we have strings of six traps. I mean if you pull up a, a string of six traps and you only got got, got ten ten can or lobsters in it, you know uh, it basically, if, if you don't catch 300 pounds a day now, you're, you're, you're going broke. That's, yeah. that's where we're at. And, and, uh, there's days we don't catch that. Uh, there's days we have good catches. I mean, it's not phenomenal off the church. Like you hear in some areas where for, we're at. For but. those that don't know, uh, <clears throat> there is a metal gauge they use. It's about the size of your palm mm. and not your fingers, just the palm area. Mm. And you use that. And on the back of the lobster, you measure, you yeah. measure it. And if it's less than that, you have to toss yeah. the lobster overboard. Yeah. From the eye socket to the back of the carapace is the actual yeah. to the carapace. So if it's, if it's within one size, it's a canner, which <laughs> they're just processed. It's not a market lobster market yeah. are worth more than the mm-hmm. canners. Yeah. And they're, yeah. And our, and our, our measure increased on our canners this year too. What would be the ratio between canners and market when? Uh, it all depends where you're at. Um, I, uh, one year, uh, one so year like I two, fished, it was two about thirds canners, one uh, third? two, two thirds canners to, to one third, I would say is probably normal. But there was one year that I, I, I probably caught around 40, 40%. Uh, so that that was up a little higher, but th- but uh, there's another area where people fish. They're probably closer to fifty, sixty percent. Mm-hmm. So it depends it depends where you're at. And uh, but but what the area I hang in, uh, we we have a tendency to get more canners than the bigger ones. And uh, so, but uh, but anyway, so that's been a that, that's been a learning. So May experience. and June is their lobster season here. Yeah. So by the first of May, if if weather's permitted, now in May, I mean. You're talking possibilities of 40-foot waves at times, too. Well, if the storms blow up, it could get that big, but I'm not going to be out there in that. Yeah, exactly. So. No, no. I mean, I know I, I, I fished in 10- and 12-footers before, and uh, and that's that's pretty rough going. I don't care who we are. I remember mm-hmm. we had a – well, my, my son always says, you know, anytime somebody wants to come fishing with us, they go, oh, great. And I said, why? He's like, oh, well, some more puke to clean up today or mm-hmm. whatever. And there's not very many people that have come and not gotten sick. And, I have uh, achieved that specialty. You're, you're one. And uh, we had uh, three young fellows. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was last summer. It was the summer before. But, I mean, they had a mirror smooth day. Yeah. And it was a great day. And uh, The but, only time I started to get a little bit seasick is when we went out for macro fishing. Mm. And it was dark. Oh, yeah. And and Ed said that was Andy's dad. He just said, "Look at that light over there in the distance." And yeah. I'd say after a half hour of staring, yeah, you know, it went away. Yeah. So, yeah, I yeah. was surprised at how many people do get sick. Yeah, no, it. it well, and I I know uh, like my my wife's uncle, he came and he's an avid outdoor person and up the Great Lakes in Ontario and so you know those are big lakes. Those are know? dangerous. So you know Very he's dangerous. been on boats and that and they can get they can get pretty rough down there. Like I mean, there's mm-hmm. been like forty foot shi- forty hundred foot ships that Edmund have sunk Fitzgerald's on the Fitzgerald's classic Edmund's, song. Look it look it up in the in there the story of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, uh, so you know he he and canoeist and everything else. Oh, I don't get seasick. And we were fishing codfish and he wanted to to come out and see what that's about. It was only a 36 hour cod season. And uh, so we went out to set the nets. And anyway, we sailed out there 
and uh, we had set the nets the day before, and uh, it was the, the next morning we're fishing them. And uh, anyways, we get out there and we get to the gear and I uh, hand him a pair of oil pants. And I say, you don't have to help. He goes, no, no. He said, I come out. I want to help. I'm not just going to stand around and look at you. Anyway, and he sat on the engine bonnet trying to get those oil pants on. And, and uh, he must not have been feeling uh, the best then. But it was not a rough day, Tom. I mean, it was not a rough day. But see, you know, for them, a three-foot sea or four-foot sea is a rough day. That's like, you know, for our 45-foot boat, that's nothing. And uh, he's trying to put his oil oil rigging or his rain gear on, and he's sitting on the engine box uh, trying to get his pant feet into the pant leg. He got one foot into one pant leg, and then he started, it just triggered him. Like, you know, he's looking at the floor and doing yeah. that. And that was kind of like the last straw, I think. And anyway, he, could, he, did, he never did get the foot in the second leg. That's of his rain gear and he sat there and he, he kept staring off at the horizon and uh, he goes I, he said I'm not feeling good he said when I looked down and tried to get these this rain gear I said I can't do it and he kept staring there and we started fishing, hauling the gear and just chatting away. And he was pretty humbled by the time, he, you know, by the time yeah. we got home, he, he felt bad because he didn't help us. And I, we didn't care. That's not, that's not, you know, we just, just stay out of the way. Yeah. Stay out of the way. And uh, he come Ed home said and once don't kick the rope, Tom, don't yeah, kick the rope. Yeah. And anyway, so he was quite humbled about that. And it was so funny because I did post a video online one day we were fishing. It, it was bad. We were one of uh, four boats of about 140 boats. We were only, there was only four of us out that day and it flared up and, uh, it was about 12 foot seas mm-hmm. and, uh, we were out there and dad said, well, look, we may as well finish up because we were out in deep water and we may as well finish it up before we go. And, and, uh, anyways, and I took a video of this and anyways, and I, the video of the boat went up in the air and then you could just hear this crash, like all of the wrenches and screwdrivers, everything in the cupboards, in the cabin, anything on the floor went in the air and then slammed on the floor because we went down so fast. It picks, picks everything up off the floor and on the way down. So it goes airborne and everything comes spilling off everything. And anyways, I had this on tape and I posted it on, on, uh, on, uh, Facebook and this lady that was out fishing with us the year before, uh, come out with us <clears throat> and she said, uh, and then when she saw that video, she said, been there, done that. Okay. And this lady was out on the nicest day we had that whole year because we had, a, you know, a few, not, not, we had a lot of bad weather, but this was a day, it was a southwest wind where the wind is coming off an angle off land. It wasn't even coming offshore. So off land wind, you're sheltered from the land side, right? And it was just, you know, those, those like a summer southwest wind where you get that hard, hot wind in the summer, yeah. but it doesn't make anything rough. It makes a lot of spray. These little short choppy waves that don't even pick the boat up, but it makes a lot of spray because the wind's blowing. You got these three, four foot seas, eh? And the boat's not even rocking for us, Tom. And she was sick all day long long. Wow. And when Lynn took her home the next day, there's a, there's a little Marina by where her mother lives. She was coming up from, she was, she came up from the States anyway, to see her mom. There was a Marina. There was a little sailboat sitting out there and she, she goes, Oh, I can't look at it. And Lynn said, what? That sailboat? I can't even look at it. My stomach's still turning. <laughs> and anyway, and so she was out on one of the best days we had all year. Like we don't even, we yeah. don't even ref, like to us, that was a nice day. And, uh, and she thought the 12, 12 foot uh, crashing, smashing, banging seas was her, was, was her experience. And I was just like, you know, you, you guys just don't have a, of course we don't take people out on, on weather like that. So yeah. And, well, I, I know <clears throat> that Ed and Andy remembers a story about me cause I went twice. I went lobster fishing once the macro fishing mm-hmm. and the macro fishing, we started at four thirty AM AM. Yeah. We didn't get home till after seven yeah. cause you gotta, you gotta fill the tubs and we didn't fill the tubs that day. Yeah. 
basically macro fishing. I mean, it just destroyed any concepts of classical fishing that people have in their mind of yeah. a, a pole and a lure and and it's like no you have a rope with a five pound weight yeah and and, and I then think, like 20 some hooks that are bare yeah, yeah and you find a school and you just let the rope slide down then you're pulling yeah. dropping it pulling i yeah. mean and and these fish come up and they flip into the things little scales go everywhere yeah yeah when they're biting good i mean with that system you you, you can get about 400 pounds per, per 30 yeah. minutes or t- even 20 minutes 25 minutes when they're biting good but the first half hour per, you think, per line this isn't yeah. too bad but that five pound weight by the oh. time you hit eight hours yeah and they weren't biting that well that day like no, we, we went the we went the opposite direction because there was just nothing up where everybody else was fishing and we went we went actually went south down towards summer yeah it, su- took, summer a, it, took, it took a long time yeah. to get there so that's when yeah. I got a little bit of seasick. Yeah. But I remember just laying down on the thing just to rest yeah. in between the schools. Oh, you you were dead. I, it, I can remember one time, like, like I'm standing sick, back there. just dead, dead. for the work. Well, and Dad was watching the sounder, and when you hit the school, you got to drop the hooks quick because that's yeah. what holds them there. And if you miss it, you miss the school, right? Exactly. But if you can drop the hooks in it right quick, and then that that they they start following the hooks, and then he'll my dad will drop his hooks. Right? But you had a line, and I remember I was shoveling ice ice in some of the tanks yeah. we had fish in or something. Dad hit a school of fish, and we've been sailing around for a good bit of while looking oh, for yeah. some. And it was Tom, not looking you good. you were lay, laying on the tank, and he goes, "Drop the hooks, drop the hooks." And I said, "Tom, would you drop the hooks?" And you were laying down. And you just reached over and unhooked them and let them go. You were still laying on the tank. And I remember you were laying on your back with a line in your arm and just t- uh, putting the, 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 going back and forth across your chest to the to the right, just jerking the line while you're laying on the tank like that. There, it's just like, wow, Tom, Tom's, Tom's done for the day. But your daughter, do you remember that time your daughter came yeah. You weren't with me. So, so Grace came up and oh. we said, you want to go out? She's like, yes, I want to go out. Well, up to this point, nothing. Like, it's the world's worst year. Yeah. Everything's terrible. And basically, Grace, you know, we're going to go out. It's got, who cares? You're not going to see anything. Yeah. You're going to be bored. Do you really want to? She goes out. And then. We strike them solid. (laughs) We load the boat. Was it by 11? They were back. Yeah. They were back in port because they had yeah. filled everything up yeah yeah the two, just two lines my dad and i with i think uh, at that time we might have had the lines that had 36 hooks on it uh we had five thousand pounds of mackerel hand hand jigged um by by 11 o'clock anyway and we were catching them and catching them and your daughter i, I looked at her and she and she was finally sitting at the table she wasn't even she wouldn't even come out of the cab anymore and she was reading a book and i said uh anyway and i said uh it's 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 not as glorious as, as you think about when you read it in a book is it grace and she actually started to cry i felt so bad she yep. just wanted to go home she goes are we going home soon and it's like we're catching fish for the first yeah. time in any volume for a long time. But and you it, did show up. You yeah. did drop her off and yeah. went right back out yeah. again. Yeah. No, we loaded, I think, 12 tanks, uh, those 500-pound tanks in the morning. and Because uh, you dropped her off and then you yeah, went back, we, and I think you even filled up the yeah, second. Yeah, I think we got uh, – I think it was another it seven. It was your biggest day. Seven or seven and a half or eight tanks we got uh, got after we got went out and, again, and we you, you came and picked up your daughter anyway, and – it was a good day. We made a good paycheck that day. It was, yeah, it was good Grace is like, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, she. Lobster fishing is a lot better because you have so many traps to do, mm-hmm. so many lines you have to pull up off, and yeah, and then you're done. Yeah, you know, and unless you're moving traps, then that takes longer. 
mackerel fishing you're out until you fill tubs yeah yeah and if if they you know sometimes we'll just quit i mean if we're out there for four or five hours and there's just nothing and you're wasting up, more in gas we just than... go let's let's go home yeah. and then but see sometimes they, the, the mackerel show up in the evening when they're not there in the morning but usually the best times is, is early morning and then and then around supper time about three three thirty on four and then you four five six six o'clock you can start get, if they're there yeah. and uh, so you always kind of kind of watch those hours so i mean there's sometimes you know we'll go and then we'll just quit and not go out in the evening but but most days if they're biting at all uh you know if we don't fill the tanks they're ice good even though they're not biting at dinner time to two o'clock it's like you know what uh it's it's going to be a 30 30 mile round trip for us to sail home just so we don't have to be out here for eight hours but you got 30 hour round or 30 yeah. mile round trip you know 15 miles up 15 minutes so you go home just just because you're not going to catch fish for five hours or six hours like you know what i mean and uh so my dad and i what we always said was instead of going home which a lot of boats would just go home and then they come back yep. and you know later evening at supper time you know the way we looked at it well you know we might only get another 500 pounds in the next five hours which is nothing with two lines and you because you'd be sailing stop yeah. and sailing stop and yeah. getting very little and uh but you know you'd pick up a 500 pound tank or or maybe a tank and a half and the other guys, but see, they don't have that. And then, but the the thing we liked about it was, was when they did, when, whenever the, you know, the, the biting time did start, we're a tank and a half up in these guys, sometimes two tanks already exactly. on board from, cause we just stay out. And then uh, when they did start biting, bang, you know, we, we, we'd be loaded before them because, you know, they didn't catch that little, you know, scraping it up a little bit and that, and we'd be the first one back to the wharf and we get unload quick and weren't in a lineup. Whereas the other boats, third boats are coming at the exactly. same time all waiting to get unloaded so we just looked at each other and said you know what uh unless there's absolutely not we get absolutely nothing in the morning if we if we had a, a decent spurt in the morning let's just drag and get another tank tank and a half on board if we can or two yeah and the, but there's other times where we stayed out there you know we'd be getting fish when they're all everybody left too so the, you know it, yeah. some days it really paid off but it just meant that we could get home earlier in the evening just by so staying there just yeah so I, you know i always brought my briefcase to take books and Back then, I used to be in ministry part-time at a church, write my sermon, work on my yeah. sermon, read my commentaries, do my exegesis. Because it is a long day. Yeah, sitting on the engine box of the boat. I mean, you know, and, and when Dad said, drop the line, I'd drop the line, you know, and we'd start fishing. So, lobsters, May to June. Yeah. Mackerel starts... Uh, uh, well, the mackerel start coming about uh, about the end. Of, well, let's step back. The first species we, we we normally start fishing is herring. That's that starts and the season opens about the middle of April, and there's a, there's a spring spring herring fishery, and then a, just for bait nets. But you can start fishing them uh, uh, about the middle of April, coming on the end of April. Then the lobster season. Uh, the mackerel show up in the Gulf. They they move into the Gulf somewhere around the 23rd and 24th of June, around around the 20th of June, tw to the 26th in. in around there is when they show up so you can uh, we, a gill net that uh, for bait uh, uh, we, but we also uh, and then after that we used to purse seine uh, we haven't done that for years because we're just not getting schools of mackerel to, 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 yeah. to do that for years but the, uh, we used to purse seine after after uh, lobster fishing that's when you let out the net and then yeah, you it's, circle it's around. like 1800 feet long. You circle yeah. the school of fish, close the bottom up, and then they're trapped inside this, this net yeah. basket. Basically. I've seen them do that, but nothing <clears throat> ever really. Yeah. There was nothing. But anyway, no. Then we, after that, what, what comes uh, after uh, Well, that? then uh, eel season starts uh, in August. Uh, now that's fun. Trying to 
move an eel and try to put it in the box yeah is not easy because you can't just grab them you kind of scoop and throw yeah and there's not much scooping there's more throwing <laughs> yeah no so that starts in august uh, and that go, goes for two months as well and that was one of the things like uh, we used to dad used to be the only one that had a license then i bought one uh uh, uh eventually too but see when we were out hand lining mackerel and stuff if we ever did decide let's just go in um it was on a day where we go in and fish eel nets and yeah. we would so when we came in we weren't resting we'd come home we'd fish one river of eel nets today and then as soon as we finished the 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 the, the eel nets we would go back out to, to, to hand line mackerel till dark and uh and then the next day you know if we were out all day great but if if there was if it was a slack time we would sail in and then fish because we had our nets in three rivers and then we'd fish that the the next river the next day yeah. and so we all you know so when if if we did go in it was usually because uh, uh, some nets of uh, the eel nets had to be fished too so yeah. so we had that thing so that when we did quit but if the if the mackerel biting we never did go in because the eels stay alive and the nets are just swimming around it's like a little yeah. net cage and uh because i mean we never made big money at eels it wasn't worth like like making a special trip to go home it was just kind of a little added money to the exactly. to the account so we you know if the mackerel biting we had to stick at that so uh so we do the hand lining and the and the mackerel or the seine if we did the mackerel seine that was literally right into november all three of those things and uh and like like right now uh the hand lining or which we've been kind of ex- exclusively sticking to the eel nets because my son who fishes with me he has a license i have like we have 70 eel nets out and uh and the mackerel have haven't been as as profitable yeah. the last the last season i fished mackerel i went five thousand dollars in the hole so uh i wasn't too keen to do it and it, and it hasn't improved much now one of the and, benefits <clears> though <throat> of well each each one like lobster and the mackerel uh, you have the northern gannets that are diving into the water because seagulls are following and all that. Mm-hmm. So that's fun to see. But when you're doing eel nets, you got eagles. Oh, bald eagles! Because you're on the river. Yeah, and they love they love to eat the discarded fish. Yeah, well, we have we have well, I don't know, uh, probably about seven or eight uh, or more that that uh, like to follow us in one river. And, there's and they another- know you now. Oh, they know, they, I don't know how, like even like they know where our nets are and they'll fly ahead and sit, uh, sit on the shore in a tree and we'll be fishing a net and, you know, and every year when the season starts, they, they start to recognize, oh, well, the eel season's open and they follow our boat along. Even if there's 200 oyster fishermen in, in, in the river, they seem to know our dory different than the others. And, and when we fish one net, you'll see them fly up and sit at the next net waiting for us. You know, they just know when we show up and, uh, and of course, when you're dumping the eels out, there's these little tiny fish that get in the net too that you got to discard and crabs yeah and crabs and when you discard them in the water they go swimming along the water and sometimes they don't go down deep very quickly or whatever and the bald eagles come down and pick them off the, off the water and you know we, we we've had them we've had them pick pick them out like 12 feet from the dory like lots of times yeah. and there was one day uh, 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 uh we were in this little narrow channel like where there's cliffs on both sides in one place and the bald eagle uh came down and uh and anyways uh, my son threw a little fish for him on the edge of the beach and but it's a narrow channel and when the bald eagle came down uh he 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 he, he was going like uh, backwind and they can't fly very well that way to you know they have to turn around kind of come headwind to catch it anyway so he come down he wanted to grab the fish that my son literally dropped two feet in front of him and we were going to then you know he, he was going to jump in the boat and sail back we we're going to sail off but the, he come down to get this fish that's literally two feet in front of my son he he 
set on the sand for him. And he, he couldn't go down because the wind was behind him. So he flew over my son's head, two feet over the top of his head. And then he turned around. And of course, we still are getting in the boat and going away. And the bald eagle come down and, and uh, picked Doing it off. He, he was probably 10 feet from us when he, when he finally landed. I mean, you don't, again. you don't get to see that very often. No, that's, that's. But uh, then once eels are done. <clears throat> You're still not done because you got to take the boat out of the water. Yeah. Well, we, you got to winterize all your boat and your equipment. Like, uh, like eel or our, uh, eel fishing is usually done. I think it was the 26th of October. Uh, and then you got to pressure washer all those nets before you store them. And, uh, so you got to blow like all the seaweed and the moss that's growing on them because you can't leave that on them. So you get the pressure washer. Do you do anything to the traps? Uh, well, uh, you, well you do because, uh, that's just to clean them. And then, and then, uh, then you got to repair them. And it usually takes us a month to repair those 70 nets. That's, that's two, two of us working Season out. It takes its toll. Yeah. And, uh, you know what I mean? And I, I got some newer nets now. I made, made some newer nets because some of the ones that, you know, that I had when my dad, uh, finished, uh, finished up, they were getting older and like they would take, like you, it would take us a month and a half to repair them because, you know, there, there were just so many more holes because the, the material and it was getting a little older and more brittle and chafed, yeah. you know, from use. And anyway, but, uh, we had to upgrade the gear a bit and. And, uh, so you got to repair all them. So, so we land the nets on the 26th of October, pressure washer them. Uh, we don't usually often start, I, uh, we usually save the, the repair of them, uh, till January or February. If we build lobster traps, we start building lobster traps right after the end of October. Mm-hmm. And we usually build them till, till we're done, usually till Christmas. And then, then January and February is, uh, on the eel nets and, uh, and then, uh, making new buoys or if we're hanging new mackerel nets or whatever. Or after, complying after. with any new regulations from yeah. the fisheries. And the next thing you know, March is when we're hauling the gear back out uh, to, to get ready for the season. We always repair the lobster gear right after the season. When we land the stuff, you know, it's you got to air dry it before you store it. But li- literally, we start re- we do all our repairing then. And it, it takes us about a week. Um, well, But we, we get it dried, we, we fix everything, repair everything, and then we store it. So it's all ready to go in the spring. We don't, But we, we have to do something different too, eh? Because our, our canner size measure went up one millimeter this, this, this oh, year. Wow. And so that, uh, we have these escape hatches on our traps, you know, so the smaller lobsters yep. can get out. Well, uh, 42 millimeter used to be the whole size for the escape hatch. And that's good for a lobster from a certain size to a certain size. But this one millimeter put us up into the next bracket. So now our escape hatches have to go from 42 millimeter hole to a 43 millimeter hole. And so we've got, we got two of these on every trap now. So you have to go back and do all that. Yeah, we got a little gauge. And so, you know, you could take them off and, and re reattach new ones, which is a lot of, a lot of friggin' work. Mm-hmm. Or, or you can take a file or a sharp knife and just scrape, scrape the plastic down because the, 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 the hatch, the, the escape mechanisms are a rectangular plastic thing. And what we find you do, you just take a sharp knife or, or a, a file, you know, it's only one millimeter. That's not a lot, but you got to scrape that. So mm-hmm. we, we have to scrape, scrape six under those down before we the gear because on the wharf this year uh, because you went up by millimeters so so we got that to do too so uh, anyways look on fishing there's always something and uh yeah it's no different from farming or any other industry you're you're gonna be busy it's it's called work you're not getting you know you do you don't and uh, and and the more work you do yourself it's it's and again baloney costs more than lobster at least for the fishermen yeah. Well, I know, uh, well, see, uh, when I, when I took over the gear from dad, people weren't building a lot of 
traps because there was no they had no money they were making absolutely yeah. nothing and well, you couldn't and, afford the gas or bait no and so anyway uh, the first year i fished i never made a dime because it was like three three dollars or something or two two ninety five a pound or something yeah. and uh, i made nothing my first year and uh, anyway and then the next year thank goodness the price went up, went up some and uh, and anyways we started making them well i had to start building new traps because the traps you know that i bought from my dad when i took over the business or bought the business from were old anyway so every year i built 100 traps 100 traps so i had to build 300 new ones to get get into gear or into my gear and then uh, i got another 200 new ones so so I built like 500 new traps, and so every winter we were building building 100 new lobster traps from scratch, and uh, so we we did a lot of that. My son said to me one year, I think it was uh, uh, this this year was a little bit better uh, because uh, we finished uh, repairing the eel nets and everything uh, just before Christmas, and I didn't have this, I didn't build any traps this year because I have 200 brand new ones ahead. Plus my gear is all the, my oldest trap is four years old right now, and a lot of them, most of them are only two year old. I got I got cycled in, and uh, so I said. I'm not building any traps and uh, this year, and that's why I'm able to do a little more podcasting with you and stuff. But my yeah. son said up till this year, like last year and the year before, he said, I think, uh, uh, or, or like, or, or I think, I don't know if it was last year. I think it was last year and the year before. He looked at me. We always take off between Christmas and New Year's, but he's looked at me. He said, you know how many days we missed in the in the, in the the fisherman's workshop this, this winter? You know, from the time eel season ended to the time we started hauling traps to the wharf. And I said, no. He said, two days. I said, is that right? Yeah. And I said, people think fishermen lay around all winter. Yeah. And, but see, for us, it, what it boils down to is, is people, you know, there's other areas where fishermen buy wire traps. Wire traps don't fish as well for us. Yeah. You know, people often ask, well, you know, a lot of people that use wire, why, why are you guys using wooden traps? Well, because, because wire, or wooden traps outfish the wire traps. They always do. Unless everybody's using wire, wooden traps fish out, uh, outfish uh, the wire traps. We've, tr- we've all tried them. But the problem is, is our season is only eight weeks long yeah and if and and even if a wooden trap only outfished uh, a, a wire trap by five percent or ten percent but we're finding they outfish them by 25 percent uh why why would we why would we take the loss because our season is so short to make money you know I and mean, we got the same price for a boat the same price for an engine the same price for 300 traps as the guy who has the six-month lobster season you yep. know in another area and that's not making fun of that fisherman that's you know yeah. that that's just you know the that's zone and the is. way the water temperatures were but we've only got eight weeks to make the money on our lobster traps and we've got all the same expenses and 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 like so much less fishing time and uh and that's you know it's like my dad's a too with fishing uh, you know uh well you know you could, could can you buy pre-made traps yeah if i want to go uh, spend 125 bucks a trap to have somebody else build it but here's the thing I, you know i might not be making money in the winter time but when i'm building a trap i can build it for 50 bucks instead of paying 125 bucks you know or 55 dollars instead of yeah. 130 dollars you know so basically what i'm doing is is i'm not making money i'm not fishing there's no fishing in the world but but every every you know every time i build a trap i'm saving myself 50 bucks so do the math on 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 100 traps how much money am i saving myself exactly you know and it was and uh, and and uh, and it's the same thing with uh, you know and if i had to buy buy my new trap 
apps all the time. I mean, that's just coming into my pocket. I don't make that much money that I can afford to do that. In some areas, they get bigger catches and higher prices at different times of the year. Yeah. Uh, they can do that. So, you know, you have to do what you have to do to make it economical. Like even with the eel season, I mean, eel fishing was never big money. Uh, but, you know, we're into two licenses and stuff. Well, you know, you want to go buy buy an eel net pre-made because it's not the material in it that costs. It's the time. I mean, there is a cost to the material, but the time to make them. There's over 5,000 stitches in one little eel net tube. It looks like a wind sock, like at, a, at yeah. an airport. And these things are, you know, about 12 feet long and, and, and may, maybe, maybe, you know, about a three foot opening at the front that tapers down to a, like a cone to the end. Uh, they don't look like much, but to go buy them are, are 300, I think it's $325 a net. And then there's no, there's no six foot wings that are supposed to be on each side of the front of that net. And then you, you have to have the 65 foot leader that goes into the shore, doesn't come with them. You know what I mean? But uh, if I had to buy those whole, or whole nets, well, the, the profit I make in eels would be gone for 10 years, yeah. you know, but, but, uh, but when I turn around and make the net, I, I figured, I figured it out that I, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't remember, but see, I was using, a uh, uh, um, mackerel sane stuff because we, we cut out a damaged section of our mackerel sane one time and, uh, and, and put in a new piece, but, but see, I only need these strips two and a half feet long to make the 65 foot liters. And I was able to recycle a lot of that. I didn't have to buy it, buy all that and stuff. And, uh, anyways, but I was making a net, but it, it's four and a half days per net. And we had, you know, I didn't make 70, I made 35 for the, for one license. And then I got another 23 done last year. And then I said, uh, anyways, I got some webbing for some more, but, but you're talking four and a half weeks or yeah. four and a half days per net from start to finish, you know, uh, anyways, a lot, lot a lot of time. Of <clears throat> yeah. And you got all that other gear to do too. So anyway, I'm not saying, you know, oh, poor me. That's, that's not why I'm telling the story, well, I mean, but you know, people, people think you make a million dollars. For and, all the farmers and, out there, guess what? You know, the fishermen are mm-hmm. doing stuff. They're not sitting back. Yeah. They're just making fun of all the farmers who are sitting back, not doing anything <laughs> during winter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you know that they have stuff to repair as well. So anyway, that's our that's our day today, and and I hope you got to enjoy a little bit about the fisheries. So we thank you for being here. We also thank Nathan and Jeremy Outhouse for the wonderful song to lead us in, and lead us out. So thank you much. You guys have a great day. I think it's time to take it for one last burn. Are you still here? You must be a real sucker for punishment. Thank you for listening to the Invisible Humanitarian podcast today. Check out our website at theinvisiblehumanitarian.ca or check us out on our Facebook page. Please subscribe to us and leave us a good rating on your favorite podcast subscriber. And please, whatever you do, tell all your crazy friends about this podcast.